Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Climate change. It's either the biggest challenge faced by humanity or it's an overblown hoax cooked up by the Chinese to destroy Western power if you're Donald Trump. So pick your side. Okay, that might be a bit extreme, but Steve Keen is certainly in the former camp and maybe more will be when we start feeling it more in the economy. But then any impact has somewhat been overshadowed by that pandemic that we seem to be having, hasn't it? Uh, Some people think that's a hoax too, of course. So just what will be the impact of global global warming on the economy and what can we do about it we'll look at that today on the debunking economics podcast with professor steve keen i'm phil dobby welcome along So the world's global GDP could fall by 25% by 2100 if we do not do more to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That's according to a new report by central banks. There's a a voluntary group of central bankers called the NGFS, the Central Banks and Supervisors Network for Greening the Financial System. This will be music to your ears, Steve Keen, that central banks are playing a part in all of this. They reckon the, the risk is now so great that central banks have to respond perhaps because they reckon we can't rely on governments to do it. Uh, But look, 25% of GDP in 80 years' time, Steve, uh, we we get a sense of what that might be like right now because the UK GDP fell by over 20% in April and only slightly improved in May. Um, and, and that is with vast quantities of public money being injected into the system. So basically what they're saying is with global warming, uh, it would be like now forever. Except basically. except that, I mean, uh, from what I've seen, I haven't had a chance to read this particular research paper uh, properly yet, so I can't really comment in details I'd like to do. But this is another attempt of the neoclassical economists to put numbers on the innumerable. Uh, because if you mm. look at the idea of a 25% fall in GDP by 2100 compared to what it would have been in the complete absence of climate change, that ain't much, okay? Um, it's no. a lot more than Nordhaus is talking about, but it still ain't much when you compare it to what people like Linas are talking about. Mark Linas, whose most recent uh, book came out just, just a, few, a month or so ago, uh, Six Degrees, Our Final Warning, saying that at the level of temperature increase of three or four degrees of Celsius, it would probably mean the extinction of human civilization and could mean the extinction of the human species. Now, when mm. I see another, even though... That's bad for GDP. That's pretty bad for GDP, it? yeah. Yeah, Nordhaus had, uh, had said that basically, uh, what, a 19% rise in global, uh, the surface temperature of the Earth of 19 degrees would halve GDP, just half, 90, we'd all be dead, the, the planet be fried, presumably the cockroaches uh, would suddenly uh, take over the yeah. economy and have quite a big spending power. The, 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 this is really a discussion about enumerating the innumerable. Yes. Uh, and, and again, the neoclassical economists who've done this have fallen for it once more because uh, they, they are arguing that if you, if you look at 2100 and the trajectory we're on right now, the minimum temperature increase we would see with a business as usual continuation is of the order of three or four degrees. Uh, there was a paper by 
uh, uh, Kamiya Mahat is a very nice guy that I know through the uh, rethinking, uh, rebuilding macroeconomics group, who's part of the whole uh, group of neoclassical economists trying to put numbers on climate change. And his paper argued that uh, if there was a, z- a zero point, uh, a one twenty fifth of the degree, better way, a one twenty fifth of the degree increase. In, in temperature per year between now and 2100s. So that's, that would mean 3.2 degrees Celsius between now and 2100. That would reduce GDP. I think he said by 7.62% of GDP. Mm. And I, I, when I was my first correspondent with him, I simply wrote off and laughed. You sure it's not 7.63 rather than 7.62? It's this ludicrous idea of, of false pre- precision in numbers. Yes. You know, here we are talking about something 80 years in the advance, and we're talking about a 3.2 increase in global, uh, 3.2 degrees Celsius increase in global temperatures, which is something the, the planet itself hasn't seen for the order, the order of, of tens of millions of years. And we're going to be giving precise GDP estimates of how much it's going to damage the GDP. It is all crap. It is garbage that is cluttering our minds and we should throw it out. Uh, even though I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad they're giving a number 10 times as bad as Nordhausen's, but it's still a stupid number. And the, the problem, of course, is that the moment you start to put specific numbers on it, then it, it starts to become like a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, exactly. And, and that's, they've, they've, yeah. And you've got, yeah. So one example is uh, Bjorn Lomborg, a doctor. I don't know, uh, I'm not quite sure why he's a doctor. I mean, he's a Danish former director of the government's Environmental Assessment Institute. Uh, which is a bit of a way because he's just written a book called False Alarm, so you can uh, you can guess uh, what that's all about. He reckons that uh, limiting global warming to two point five degrees, it, the, the actual cost in doing that is going to be considerably more than uh, to the economy is going to be more than the damage that would be done to the economy by allowing it to grow. And then this is the problem with numbers, isn't it? Run a cost benefit analysis, and you go, ah, it's just not worth doing anything. Exactly. I mean, I, I wonder. I mean, I seriously wonder this. Is Bjorn Lorborg simply a fraud? who was using this money to give himself a, a nice lifestyle so long, or does he believe the shit he comes out with? I really don't know. Um, I have a feeling that Richard Toll believes the bullshit he spouts. I expect Nordhaus believes his. Lomborg, I wonder whether he's just a snake oil salesman who's uh, you know, giving himself a comfortable lifestyle by promoting this stuff. There is no way that we are going to see a 0.2% to a 2% fall in GDP by 2100, which is the sort of garbage coming out of the neoclassical economists who feed all this misinformation by Lomborg and so on. Uh, it, is, it is survival of the... Of, it, is, it, is, it is the sustainability of the biosphere for life that we should be talking mm. about. It is not something you put a percentage of GDP on. And I mean, even though, as I said, this particular world um, central bank report at least is putting a number ten times as big as ne- most as the, as the norm for neoclassical economists has been, but it's still an insanely stupid number. When numbers don't matter, this is about survival. Nobody said right. when the Titanic was hitting the iceberg, "Oh, this is going to change your life survival chances by twenty by twelve percent." It would have been a 12% estimate rather than 100, by the way. With neoclassical economy doing the numbers, they would have said, you know, they would have assumed to reach equilibrium right. one metre below sea level. But they, um, but they could see the iceberg, couldn't they? I mean, there, there's the difference. The iceberg was there. They it's could there see and it, it's looming. We are, we, are, we are well – we've already hit the iceberg, quite possibly. And the trouble is that mm. the time lags uh, in, in between the actions that we undertake and the feedback – on the system in which we live. Those time lags are so huge 
that we don't realise the consequence of making a mistake about them until we're on the wrong side of them. In fact, there's just thought of a good analogy for this. It's where you've heard what's called the event horizon for a black hole. No. Okay. The event horizon for a black hole is the point at which. Oh, is that the point at which you? The point at yeah, point which you can't well, back. Yeah. Well, once you you don't even know when you've passed the event horizon, but once you have, you can't mm-hmm. get back out again. Okay. Um, now, I I believe we're past the event horizon for global warming. I think we've set the, the, the pressure we're putting on the biosphere right now and the responses that's generating in the biosphere are well past the point of no return for the well, then lifestyle that becomes, we have. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, for the lifestyle we have. And so then that becomes the point Well, what, you know, where the argument becomes why not? Well, we, we just won't do anything in that case. And, and that, that's why people are searching for numbers, isn't it? Because they're trying Partially, to say, well, okay, yeah, yeah. We, need, we, need to put, we need the numbers because we need to put it into a financial model. So we, we create the, yeah, maybe it is a cost-benefit analysis, but we create the argument that we need, this is why we need to do something, which is obviously why this group of central bankers have got together. And they obviously, the central banks, they're expected to come up with numbers, but they, here's a group of, of individuals who are, who are saying we need to do something. So you, you've got to yeah. applaud them for that. But, but again, it's using the wrong framework of doing the numbering. This is why I'm so angry about William Nordhaus in general, because he destroyed the work of, uh, of Jay Forrester, who was the person who invented the concept of system dynamics, which is uh, basically ways of building um, a graphical user interface to build mathematical models of feedbacks between one process and another, where you can have positive and negative feedback. So amplifying and, and, and dampening uh, interaction between different sex systems. And that technology uh, was killed at birth by William Nordhaus. He castigated, abused, ridiculed the work of the of, of uh, Jay Forrester in the first place, and then the limits to growth. Now, the they the people who developed that technology, and I've spoken to to one of them, um, Randers. They expected economists would embrace this stuff because it would free them from having to pretend equilibrium applied all the time. Instead, that, um, in Nordhaus in particular, saw this as a challenge to the whole way of thinking, and he, they, they, disputed, they just destroyed the credibility of this technology. So only a handful of people around the world, me being one of them, have continued working in system dynamics. It's been trivialised. All the energy instead has gone into all these neoclassical uh, models, the, what they call the Ramsey growth equation model, which is what these uh, central banks use, uh, computable general equilibrium models, dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models. All these things are completely unsuited for the problem which they're being directed. And the numbers they're generating are proof that they are simply irrelevant well, to the issue we face. Is that because the thinking is that the, 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 the equilibrium uh, brigade believe that, you know, that the, the <coughs> system is closed, the planet Earth is closed, therefore... Everything is at some point in equilibrium, or it'll get back to it. So similarly, with climate, that climate is uh, is controllable because it's within the the sphere of the Earth. So, if you didn't pump pump anything into it, it would be in equilibrium. If we take something out, it'll go back to equilibrium. Well, is, is that part of the problem? I, I think it's, the same, the thing, it's the same thinking on climate as, as it is on economics. I, I think the problem, thinking in general, is is not being aware of. The fact that the Earth is actually an open system. Um, yeah. it, it, it's an open well, system. There's that thing called the sun. There's a thing called the sun. That thing, <laughs> and then that thing called the sun, if it weren't there, uh, this conversation would be rather, pardon the pun, frozen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we'd be, you know, you'd be, we'd be a couple of degrees above absolute zero. So we only exist because of the, the, the sun 
energy coming in from the sun. Uh, the, the balance we talk about is not an equilibrium by any stretch of imagination, but a, a dynamic balance comes out of the fact that the, uh, the radiation coming in is equivalent to the radiation going out again. And that's what gives us some sort of homeostatic balance overall. What we're doing with global warming is, is increasing the amount of energy that we're retaining in that process. So the equilibrium we're going to is with an equilibrium, if you know, a, a balance with a high level of retention of energy, such that the energy coming in, again, is equal once more to the energy going out, but the actual level of retained energy will be several degrees higher. Now, I'm now getting a, getting a very strong personal experience what it's like to move from one of the extremes of human habitation of the planet, which is the UK and the Netherlands, to another extreme, which is southern Thailand. And let me tell you, you don't want to get temperatures two degrees warmer than I'm experiencing right now. You simply mm. don't. Uh, I'm, I enjoy warm weather, as you know, being a Sydney-born Sydney boy. Um, but holy hell, when you walk out and the first thought you've got is, where's an air conditioning unit? How can I get back indoor again? That's the first thing that strikes your mind when you walk outside and the temperature is 37 degrees. So that, that raises, and by the way, I think, you know, you wouldn't call the UK and, uh, and Holland necessarily extremes when you've got Canada and uh, Antarctica. It's, it's, still, it's still warmer than those places. But uh, maybe it's the the equitable climate that everyone's looking for. And here's here's an interesting thing on that. There was a a few years ago. There was a, a paper that was published in Nature in 2015. It was Burke, Hsiang, and Miguel from Stanford mm. looked at the GDP impact from climate change in various countries. Now I'm not not sure, sure on the science on all of this. Basically, they mm. looked at how countries were currently being impacted by changes in temperature and rainfall and used shared socioeconomic pathways. Not sure if that means anything to you, doesn't to me, but they came up with uh, as a set of numbers that saying by 2100, uh, there would be a 92% fall in GDP per capita for India, and pretty much the same for Africa and the Middle East, a 53% fall for Australia, 42%, again, very precise figures, they, they didn't have decimal points, but for China, 36% for the US. But the UK, basically all the cold countries would do well. 42% increase in GDP per capita for the UK. 67% increase, sorry, yes, 67% for, for Germany. 103% for Austria. Uh, fourfold increase in GDP for Russia and two and a half times for, for Canada. So basically saying the, the cold countries are going to do well out of global warming. You can imagine people in Britain going, well, we don't need to do anything about this because our GDP is going to grow because of it. This, this is some of the crap. I mean, God, I mean, I, I want a license to swear my fucking head off here because this is some <laughs> of the garbage I've had to wade my way through reading all this neoclassical nonsense. But there's um, so much of the stuff out there. People can I pick know. and choose I mean, what they, they want to read. But, it, but it's, it's, when you see where the numbers came from, it's like, look, give me one more number and I'm going to shove that up your rear end, okay? <laughs> uh, be, because they, they are simple nonsense. The whole idea that they can do this comes out of their belief that they can use current weather weather and GDP distributions to predict what's going to happen with climate change. Now, I'm looking, I I did, you know, we've got a new paper coming out in the journal Globalisation shortly on William Nordhaus and the the, the catastrophe of his his work on that front. But one thing, the the point where I realised just how bad these guys were was when I was reading Richard Toll's paper, The Economic Impact of Climate Change in 2009. And he told me, he mentioned what he called the 
the cross-sectional or the statistical approach. And I'll find a quote just so I can read exactly what they said. An alternative approach, exemplified in Mendelssohn's work, can be called the statistical I hate this word, the statistical approach. It is based on direct estimates of the welfare impacts using observed variations across space within a single country to discern the effect of climate change. They assume that the observed variation of economic activity with climate over space holds over time as well. Mm. That's simply saying we can use the relationship that applies today between temperature and GDP on the planet to predict what's going to happen with climate change. Now, this so no is tipping, boneheaded no fucking stupid. This is the stupidest <laughs> so no bloody... Say, right, so no, system, okay. no systems thinking, no tipping points. It's all just a, a continuation yeah, yeah, of, of, yeah. of things as they are now, which yeah. obviously is which is crazy thinking. But how do you... And is that part of the problem, that there's not that? Is that is the problem. We, system we, we, thinking and all of it. We, we are not comprehending what is actually involved in increasing the temperature of the planet. And if you're going mm. to increase the temperature of the planet by that level, then you have to increase the energy that's retained in the atmosphere. And this is where the failure of economists to get their head around the concept of energy has been so critically dangerous. It could actually endanger not just our civilization, but potentially our species and many other species as well. You can't have production without energy. So energy is absolutely yep. essential. Equally, you can't use energy without generating waste energy. Now, the problem for us is the form of waste energy we're generating right now is actually waste matter, where that matter, there's many other elements to it, but the carbon dioxide side of things is that that is one of the gases that means the average temperature of the planet is increased when that level of the gas rises. Without, without, without global warming, without any um, greenhouse effect whatsoever, the average temperature of the planet would be minus 18 degrees Celsius, okay? It'd be very mm -hmm. unevenly distributed because the part facing the sun would be quite hot, the part facing away from the sun would be quite cold. The fact that the temperature only changes, like what, what's the UK temperature range uh, during summer from about, what, uh, 20 during oh, the day to... Yeah, so, so during, well, the, the maximums are you know, vary between anywhere between 16 degrees and 16 and a half degrees. No, it's, it's sometimes, we can, yeah, get, up to it, 30, it, it, can yeah. get up to 35 degrees here, actually. Yeah, okay, 35 um, degrees, but you don't, you don't go from 35 degrees uh, during the day to minus 70 at night. Okay. No. You go from so, 35 to what about, if you had a really hot day, 35 at night, it might be about 5 or 10 overnight. So, okay. um, well, you'd be, no, but if you had a hot day like that, it'd probably still be 16 or something in the, mm -hmm. in the morning. But that, that is very so, rare. Normally, that, 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 is that, also, that is also eight, part eight of Eight degrees would be a normal, summer's morning would, a minimum temperature probably would be about eight degrees, I would have thought. Okay, so you're eight, eight to, say eight degrees to 22 degrees. Eight to 22. Yeah. Okay, for 14 degrees Celsius range. That itself is because we have, um, greenhouse gases, because most mm. of the heat that we actually experience is energy being reflected back down by those gases. With those gases weren't there, and carbon dioxide is not the most important one, but without carbon dioxide, you wouldn't have water vapour, because all the water would be frozen, okay? Um, and, and reflecting energy out back into outer space. We had a period when the Earth was uh, what they call snowball Earth, completely encased in ice. Um, so you need the carbon dioxide as the, as the seed element to give you the process. It gives you a range of gases in the atmosphere which reflect back some of the energy which is being bounced off the surface 
uh, by by normal uh, reflective uh, rating of the planet. So without those gases, we'd be at minus 18 degrees. Now, because of those gases, we get to the temperature where the average of the planet is about plus 15. So the overall contribution of, of, of greenhouse gases in the absence of human intervention is about 33 degrees Celsius increase in temperature, rather than minus 18 with enormous extremes, uh, like an average of minus 18 with an extreme, with a, if, yeah. if we might be getting 100 degrees on the part facing facing the sun and minus 150 on the on the yeah. uh, on the so we so we need side. it in other we words need, we need it but it's very sensitive mechanism now if you mm. increase the amount we're retaining by increasing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere then you may be increasing the percentage of the earth and the sun's energy you retain on the planet and I'm not sure of the numbers here I'm not an expert in the this actual area, but we retain a, a, a fraction of the energy of the sun. Let's say we retain, like on the planet, 2% of the energy of the sun, which is feasible, 98% getting reflected back. You go to 2.5%, you change the climate radically. Mm. You go from a world where the, the type of circulation we have now, where we have three basic major cells. There's a cell of the circulation cells from the equator to the, the mid-latitude, which is called the Hadley cell, one of those each side of the equator. We have another one from the uh, sub-equatorial to the high um, uh, latitude areas. Then we have the Arctic cells. So they're basically, there are six cells, you know, three each either side of the equator that circulate the air. And they're, they're not, they're not uh, completely self-contained, but they, that's the pattern we face. If we increase the temperature by of the order of six degrees, and that's uh, one of the levels that Norderhaus contemplates in his 2018 paper, which he said would change the GDP by 8%, at that level, we're likely <laughs> to break it down to the stage there's only two circulation cells from the, right. from, the, from, the, from the equator to the north and the south pole, respectively. Uh, the temperature will become much more even across the entire planet Crocodiles can return to the Arctic and the Antarctic, uh, but the civilization we've built up in the meantime and the life forms that exist within that narrow range of temperatures that humans find acceptable will be exterminated. So the whole idea of providing numbers for this is a complete distraction and makes us think it's a cost-benefit analysis when it's actually one of survival. Mm. But you do need to put something on it, don't you? You do need to create... Well, I that mean, system dynamics gave us that. Okay, right. you go go back to the limits to growth. Um, people who haven't read it, go read it, and it's it's freely available online. Those who have disparaged it, read the fucking thing without neoclassical glasses on. I mean, get right. rid of this bullshit that you can put numbers like you're doing right now. Read it and see what they did and what they gave us was that a number of systemic, huge, large scale systems, resources, pollution capacity, population growth itself, which is part of their overall system, there were constraints. And if we push one part of the boundaries too far, we'd find a push in another direction. You couldn't give precise numbers in the way that these morons, educated morons are doing. But you could say this looks unsustainable. Uh, we have these seven systems. We wish them all to be working in harmony. Uh, if you push one of them too far, the other six will go into breakdown. That that's, it's a sense of harmony between different interacting systems we need rather than trying to put precise GDP numbers, which is the way the economists have stolen, stolen the debate from us. Right. 
and and it's easy to steal because it gets mm. into an area which is science which is too hard for most people to to, to yeah. contemplate the other the other element of it all as well is that you know the people who are suffering the most from it obviously are the poor countries so we look at what's happened in the in recent times so hurricane maria left uh, 3000 people dead in puerto rico we had monsoons in pakistan that killed 20 million people in 2010 20 million uh, mm. and then places like yemen and haiti the philippines uh, always seems to be bearing the brunt of, uh, of of weather events lately as well. Uh, did you know Kiribati has purchased, uh, uh, Kiribati, I should say, has purchased 5,000 acres of land in Fiji because uh, just being six feet above sea level, they're worried about uh, that they might need to relocate. But in the West, we don't care too much about these places, do we? You know, we're more concerned about uh, about our plight, and we feel as though when it comes to climate change or extreme weather events anyway, um, I mean, some people argue that they're not related, we uh, we have the, the capability to, to deal with that. I think so there's a selfish what, angle to all of this. I, I think that's where it's going to come back and bite us because part of my attitude uh, for a long time has been that when we start having systemic breakdown, when climate starts to destroy the production systems on which large parts of human society depend, yes, there will be some third world regions that suffer very badly from that. So India relied upon the monsoon, for example, the monsoon failed and hundreds of millions of people could die of starvation, die of thirst in that situation. But equally, if you find that the production systems that the West relies upon that give it the the food, like the UK, for example, I think imports 30% of its food. Mm. Okay. If all of a sudden that 30% of the food wasn't there, how would life in the UK change? It would be a fairly radical alteration. Whereas if you're living in a region of the world where it is it's feasible to produce enough food for everybody in the fields that are within two or three kilometres of where you live, then it's quite possible those less developed parts of the world will survive this better. Now, so I, I think, I think, and that's one reason that the coronavirus has been an intriguing experience for the West. It's broken yeah. it out of the complacency, thinking, oh, we're so much better off. We will survive this stuff. Those poor people in the third world, they'll suffer. I'm in the third world, guys. I can go shopping. Yeah. I can go to the beach because this society managed to stamp out coronavirus. Um, it, it yeah, which, um, well, I gave the example of the, you know the, those millions who've died in Pakistan. If if twenty million people had died in Pakistan from COVID nineteen, and uh, that was where it all started, uh, then we'd all be there trying to contain it because we'd be worried that it'd be coming to get us. That's sort of what you're talking about, isn't it? We're sort of like saying, well, you know, it's it's a problem for them; it's not a problem for us. But, but the it, moment it, it, it becomes it a problem been. for us, then. It mm. is a problem for us. We've let it become one because we don't have the systems to cope with it. We have gone so disaggregated, so uh, market-oriented, and so much focused on individual the, the ideology of individual rights without seeing us as part of an overall human uh, life system on this planet that we are now jeopardising that life system itself, and it couldn't give a shit about our politics or about where the, where the shiniest cars are. Uh, in, in the breakdown of climate that will come, uh, it may well be that the parts of the world which are least developed are the ones where humanity's got the highest chance to survive. I wonder how uh, Nordhaus would have modelled uh, COVID-19 if, if he's assuming that, you know, the 3% increase in, in temperature is only going to equal 1% of GDP. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, 140,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the UK has, well, who knows what it's done to uh, to GDP, but, you know, at least a 30 or 40% uh, decrease in a couple of months. Um, 
that sounds like slightly more marked uh, <laughs> reaction for a relatively small number of deaths compared to what the impact of climate change is going to be. I mean, that, climate, that, yeah. that, that shows how once you're, once you're on it, once the event is right upon you, the reaction is far greater than you would have imagined. Yeah, yeah, the numbers are useless. Um, and and they, they distract us from actually doing anything serious about it. So, mm. you know, I, I would, again, it's sort of, you know, giving a probability analysis or a, a, um, a you know, GDP estimate for the Titanic. Um, it, it, is, it is an inappropriate way to think about the world in which we live. And the answer should have been um, that we, we should have been saying, what, what are the sustainable bounds for uh, not just humans' life on this planet, but life in general on this planet. What are the boundaries? And those boundaries would be telling us in terms of like the, the if, we, if we limit it to what the boundaries where life itself is, is feasible, then we're, talk about, we're talking about the order of six degrees, plus or minus six degrees. Uh, the, the biggest extinctions in, human, in, in the history of the planet have been at temperature levels about six degrees above where we are right now. So... Mm -hmm. That's 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 you don't want to you don't want to do anything that's going to push you towards that boundary for humanity itself. Where did we develop? The answer is is a civilization we developed in a in a one degree band around where we are right now. Uh, the beginning of what's called the Holocene, the beginning of the human of large scale human uh, settlements, which was about ten thousand years ago, coincided with the with the growth out of the deep temperatures of the of the last ice age when temperatures were four degrees below pre-industrial levels. So over a 10,000 year period from about 20,000 years ago to about 10,000 years ago, increase in carbon dioxide, natural of course, increase in CO2, um, caused an increase in temperature of about four degrees that got us to the level that the, the Mycenaean civilizations and the, um, uh, um, um, I forgot my, my names are going out the head here, but the Egyptian, um, et cetera, to civilizations evolved in. And that 10,000 years is what gave us the lifestyle we currently have, building on the knowledge the human had to commit over that 10,000 years. We don't want to jeopardize that band. So we should be doing everything possible to keep ourselves within a one degree band. Now, I've completely thrown that out the window and said, oh, well, we think three degrees might reduce GDP by 25%. Bullshit. It'll wipe out civilization. But it's hard to it's hard to get that message across, isn't it? And then you've yeah. got uh, people like your friend Bjorn Lomborg mm. saying uh, that the focus on climate change is uh, at the detriment of other issues. So... Um, uh, we weren't out campaigning. I mean, to, to an extent, he's got a point that we weren't out campaigning for uh, pandemic research last year, were we? We, we, we? You might have had people campaigning for climate change. You weren't getting people saying, you know, what are we doing about uh, the health of the, the planet? Uh, he points to the number of undernourished people in the world. It's close to 9%. That's 690 million people and getting worse. It's risen by 60 million people in, in the last five years. So the more, so his argument is the more we argue about climate change, the more we're not looking at these other issues, although you can't help thinking they're all linked somehow. Yeah, and that's, that's what left out of neoclassical thinking is the linkages. When I started mm. reading Nordhaus's material, I expected to find a neoclassical equilibrium model at heart, which is what I did. I also expected to see some acknowledgement that um, climate change would affect the productive capacity of the economy. That wasn't there. His equation for um, the GDP has GDP itself being, sorry, pardon me, hit the microphone then, GDP itself being affected by climate change, but the factories, the machinery being unaffected. 
Okay? The technology mm. being unaffected. So there's no feedback in his model between climate change and the amount of capital in the economy. There's no feedback between climate change and the productivity of that machinery in the economy. All these things are simply assumed to go on indefinitely and unchallenged. And what I said, these people make Donald Trump look smart. These people have mistaken climate change for the weather and are making it, giving us advice about what would happen if it got four degrees warmer as the change in the weather without changing the climate. Now, you could do that temporarily for some parts of the planet. It is simply not feasible for the planet as a whole. If you increase the temperature of the whole planet by four degrees, you change the entire climate. For every last species on the planet, you change what is viable as a life form on this planet. And that who are viable in the life form, that question includes us. And we don't know our viability at temperatures four degrees above where we are right now because we didn't evolve in those temperatures. We may not ever evolve. So in, Nord, so in Nordhaus's work, he totally ignores the idea that there are systems that will reach a tipping point and then they'll... Yeah, I mean, out of control. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be having a great time exposing this bastard when, um, when um, my paper comes out in Globalisation shortly. And of course, readers have seen it. It's been published on the blog already. But my favourite example uh, of just how scurrilously... Um, I, 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 I'm lost for words for how I describe anybody who could do this sort of thing. There's some jerk in, in, in um, New Zealand. What's his name? Jimmy somebody or other. Um, who's forever harassing me as a, he's my impersonal troll in neoclassical economics. He's done at me about reading a book called The Climate Casino because he said, in The Climate Casino, you will see that Nordhaus takes uncertainty into, into account. Well, I, I finally started reading The Climate Change Casino. And I, in particular, I went looking for how did he treat the work of a climate scientist called Tim Lenton, who's think based at the University of Essex. Because Tim did a survey of, of his climate scientists about what they thought would be the impact of various levels of temperature increase. And Nordhaus made a, a passing allusion to this paper in some work he's, work he's already read, but he's, he's DICE manual, and said that um, um, this DICE, the, the, mod, the mathematical model in DICE contains no tipping points uh, and is a smooth quadratic, but this is consistent with the survey by Lenton. Now, I simply couldn't believe that, the, that a, a climate scientist would come out and say there are no tipping points. So I went and read Lenton's paper and saw that it completely contradicts what, what um, Nordhaus had to say. But at this stage, I hadn't read The Climate Casino. Well, I've done that now. And now I'll just read you from The Climate Casino. Uh, this is Nordhaus, page 60 of The Climate Casino. There have been a few systematic surveys of tipping points in Earth systems. A particularly interesting one by Lenton and colleagues examined the importance of tipping elements and assess their timing. Quote, their review finds no critical tipping elements with a time horizon of less than 300 years until global temperatures have increased by at least three degrees Celsius. Now, my reaction with this is a blatant lie. Mm. Okay, how does he justify this blatant lie? Well, he had a mention said, more discussion takes place in the, no in the notes. So I went and checked the notes. And in the notes, he has table N1. And this has uh, a number of tipping elements, time scale and how many years that might happen, the threshold warming involved, level of concern where most concern equals three asterisks. And what is the concern? So Arctic summer sea ice, he said, time scale 10. And that could happen in, in decades, which is true. Threshold warming level, 
0.5 to 2 degrees Celsius, also true. Concern, amplified warming, ecosystems, etc., also true. Level of concern, low concern, one star. Where the hell did he find that? So I go to Linton's paper, the one he's quoting, and there are there is no such column about level of concern. You read Norton himself, Linton himself, no. what did he so say? He's put it in himself. He's put it that's, in himself. His- he's claimed there's no concern. Mm. He made it up in so many words. And, and this is the standard of work that we've let get away with shaping our reactions to climate change. Now, this is all got mm. bullshit that we are going to die. People are going to die on a large scale. Life systems will and fail. The, and, the, and the problem the problem is it's not going to get exposure, is it? So, I mean, I and it, it's easy as a non-scientist for it to, to, to be seen as, you know, it's one of those issues that's around. I mean, if you look, I'm, you know, back in the UK now, the weather here is a lot better than it was when I when I used to live here. So it's very easy to say. Uh, and I'm only partially joking that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. climate change is climate change has been good i'm having a better quality of life because the because uh, the weather has definitely improved yeah. in the uk and that'll be fine until the food system breaks down yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it, then it won't be so good yeah that's right and also like yeah. the, 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 the original when the, when the sainsbury's shelves are uh, are empty then that becomes uh, that that becomes problematic even even with the nice weather yeah absolutely so all of this is all of this is a big issue and it's a big problem now because it's going to be, uh, it is going to be off the agenda, isn't it, for a while now? Because we are now more concerned about pandemics and yeah. how we how we tackle those, even though they m- may also be related. They are related. The focus yeah. now, obviously, is on is is on getting a vaccine and getting everyone injected with it. I mean, that, and that could take years. And uh, you know, there's going to be no talk of anything else apart from perhaps Brexit. But even that's taken a backseat. That's how powerful this pandemic's been. Uh, you know, and and so climate change is way down the pecking order now. It is going to be way down the pecking order, but if we find if we find a series of events like this continue to come our way, it'll peck its way back up again. And mm. I, I mean, you know, I, I do see coronavirus as something which is related to the pressure humanity is putting on the planet. We are the only uh, predator that it's worth um, becoming a pathogen to. Why bother becoming a pathogen to a lion because the lions are being exterminated? Uh, You know, if you're going to evolve an successful pathogen, humans are the best vector for it, and and the and the animals human use. Yeah, so we are we are this this is the in that sense rather than saying we should forget about it, I think this is the canary we should take serious notice of. Um, You know, we've ignored the other canaries. Okay. The problem is the we have parochialism. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. We have parochialism, which gets in the way mm. of all of this. So yeah. if we look at, you know, uh, things we've talked about, like inequality and then food security, which uh, has been mentioned uh, by our friend uh, in Denmark, mm. uh, pandemics, climate change, throw them all together. They're all global concerns. How mm. do we tackle them globally? Because if you have global bodies... Uh, like the World Health Organization, mm. arguably they become political, whether by their own fault or not. Um, they, they will be politicized. How do we, as a human species, tackle all of these things which are clearly interconnected? How do we do that in a sensible way using using science? Well, and that was what systems global was, acceptance. That's what systems I was trying to do fifty years ago. And if the amount of money that had gone into developing neoclassical dynamics, stochastic general equilibrium models and other garbage like that had gone into system dynamics instead, we'd probably have sophisticated enough uh, systems now to be able to actually handle this and have 
communicated to people who don't have a science background so they can actually follow what the arguments are. Instead, we're in the absolute dark ages still of dealing system dynamics and we've got this uh, blasé bullshit from people like uh, um, Nordhaus and uh, Lomborg telling us there's nothing to worry about. Once we find there mm. is something to worry about, my only question is what's the suitable form of punishment for people who delayed us in making that decision? And uh, Right. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering where I could put a prison without air conditioning uh, and with, with to replicate the, the, the average situation for people on the planet into which we could house people like Longborg and Nordhaus and But we're all a bit to blame. Um, no, we're no, all a bit no, to blame because no, no, Nordhaus Nord Nord is... That's what the Nordhaus is telling us we want to hear. He's telling us yeah. that uh, there is an issue, but it's not that big. So don't you don't have to worry about it too much. What we're worried about is people like you coming out with uh, uh, systematic model, systems models that are going to tell us that things are far worse and mm. we're going to have to compromise our lifestyle. We don't want to hear that. We'd rather spend the money on those people who are going to tell us things aren't so bad. Well, that's true. That is that's part of human weakness. I have no argument there. Um, but I, I would like to exalt the best rather than the worst elements of humanity. And I think we're letting the worst drag us, drag us into um, a serious crisis. And the fact that they actually can exploit the worst ex elements of human uh, behaviour should be no excuse for what they get as a punishment. So these, just finally then, these climate accords where the world leaders get together every so often, periodically, mm. and uh, sort of agree to something. And then some of them, are, some of them actually follow through and some mm. don't, and then some pull out. Are they a waste of time? Is is that the wrong tack? Yeah, they've been a, they've, they've been a waste of time. I mean, again, it is partially the fact that we've never experienced anything like this before. It it is completely uncertain in terms of our own past experience. There's no statistical um, knowledge we can apply. There's no experiential knowledge we can apply, and that's why I'm so angry about this faux mathematics of the neoclassical economists giving little numbers like twenty five percent. Uh, you know, it's implying a level of knowledge which we are nowhere near capable of having using technology, which is nowhere near capable of providing that knowledge in the first place. But it, it is true that we we simply have no experience to go on, no knowledge to guide us in this whole process. And all I'm what, what I'm hoping is that we I hope enough of us will survive it that we can not lose all the knowledge we've acquired before the before the process starts to break down on us. So here you go again. This hope. is where we finish on a low note. You're gonna, I'm sorry. You're going you're gonna to tell sorry. us that I'm we sorry, were going to yeah. go through this come what may. Yeah, we are. And, and, and in that situation, I don't want to see bosses like Lomborg and Nordhaus evade responsibility for it because their work's been so shitty. I mean, if they'd done mm. decent work that was hard for me to pull apart, I might have a certain amount of sympathy for them. If I can pull them apart just by reading saying, you can't make an assumption that's stupid, you can't assume that you can use today's weather to predict the climate. You can't assume that 89% of economy will not be affected by climate change because it happens indoors. You can't do that. But they did. So they should bloody well pay for it. So, I mean, the final question, I mean, it's a simple question. What do, how does the world corral itself to tackle this? If it's, if it's not... I, think, I, I don't think it's in our... We, we haven't set up the systems that could enable us to have the, the group intelligence to make the right decision and avoid a crisis. We're going to go through this. The question of what... Because we're all countries, we're all parochial countries with yeah, our own agendas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm expecting some one of the countries in Southeast Asia or Asia or China to decide unilaterally at some stage to start seeding the planet 
with the SO2, yeah. side of sulfur dioxide, mm. to cut the temperature by five degrees. And if the West complains about it, tough shit. You do take any notice of, you know, apart from then some hand wringing. Then, 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 yeah. then it's war. Then it's war. That's yeah. World War Three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there we are. I've, I think taken, so. I've taken the tone right down as well. We, sh- we should go before it gets worse. Uh, we'll catch you again we soon. <laughs> we'll catch you again soon, Steve. Thank you. Okay, mate. Bye-bye. Do you get the feeling that we have achieved nothing here apart from highlighting the fact there is a problem and uh, nobody seems to uh, have an answer to how we fix it? That's it for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back again with another edition of the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. Next week, see you then. 